Baxter, Val for the Tijuana Brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making uh, one of his roughly monthly appearances, one of his roughly monthly appearances, senior editor at Fangraphs.com, Jeff Sullivan. Those who are familiar with Sullivan, uh, both from his work in the electronic pages and also elsewhere, including previous editions of this program, uh, will know that uh, Sullivan has, if not a beautiful mind, uh, then, a, then at least a reasonably attractive one. I asked him uh, to engage uh, said mine on a number of subjects. For example, uh, Jeff Sullivan has recently moved across town in Portland, Oregon. Um, uh, we reflect on that and some of the hijinks that occurred during a move. Uh, also with regard to Portland, Oregon, you may or may not have read recently in the pages of The New Yorker uh, a long article regarding the threat of earthquake and tsunami uh, in the Pacific Northwest. Apparently, this has uh, not gone unnoticed, uh, not just by Jeff Sullivan, but uh, apparently uh, most residents uh, of that region. So we discussed that as well. I'll ask uh, Jeff to provide some information on the ceilings and floors, as if you would uh, were, were to do for a baseball prospect, ceilings and floors of uh, various comestibles. And uh, um, perhaps frustrated uh, by that line of questioning, or for some other reason, one finds that Sullivan becomes, in fact, rather belligerent. You should be dead. Once again, here's uh, Jeff Sullivan threatening my life. You should be dead. Uh, it is uh, Fangraphs Audio. It does feature senior editor, important senior editor, Jeff Sullivan. And it begins right now. Yeah, your uh, your avatar. My pro, yeah, my profile image. Yeah, I, I, I thought I deleted it. I was asked no. to speak at a class, at a class, like via Skype at a class. Yeah. And I did not want to do a video thing because then they would see. Yeah. They would, yeah everything. They, they would see everything. Yeah, and uh, so it I was is, like, yeah. I was like, I'll put up that image, which is of me the one time I was on television. Yeah. And uh, I'll put up that image, and they'll believe that I. You know, possess some sort of authority on this matter of like uh, social media in sports or some whatever it was, and uh, I thought I deleted it, and uh, but it, yeah, I guess, it, I guess it appears it's still appearing, so I don't know what to do. Yeah, I think it's the sort of picture that I think people would prefer undeleted, uh, in that I think it's also a picture people would prefer to be uh, entirely deleted, but given that that is not. Uh, not feasible. I think people would. This is one of those uh, permanent icons on the internet. Carson Cecilia Simon, time on television. Yeah, I understand now that people listening to this podcast don't know what picture I'm referring to. But no, they let's do. be honest, they a, do. It they was the one time I was on television. So if you can summon that to your mind, you did it. Um, Jeff, how you doing? I'm 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 okay. How are you? Good. You did some uh, you did some moving this week. Is that right? Did some moving. Uh, one first move out of two in a in a short span. Wait, what are you there talking is. about? Uh, well, I I moved out of my old apartment because they were renovating the unit and in the northwest moved, northwest of Portland. Northwest of Portland, and I unfortunately my girlfriend's lease does not expire uh, at the same time as mine did, and so I mm. uh, moved into a small small unit temporarily before moving to a bigger unit, etc. Townhouse. I get to say things like townhouse, and I live in a townhouse. You're gonna move uh, to a townhouse. I'm gonna move to a goddamn townhouse. <laughs> Look at this guy with his townhouse. Yeah, right? Yeah, wow. I learned, uh, yesterday I learned the difference between uh, condo and and townhouse, uh, and and that's the yuppiest that I felt. Wait, what week. is it? What is the difference? Uh, well, the problem is that I also uh, 
very quickly forgot the difference, but I think it has something to do with ownership of the property around the building itself. Oh, okay. Uh, who's responsible for the grounds? And I think in a, in one of them you are not responsible for the grounds, and the other one you are. And uh, given that I anticipate doing no work on grounds, uh, and I'm etc. A condominium, but not but not all. Co- but sometimes condominiums are just like an apartment in a building. Yeah, yeah, I. I can't express enough how quickly I forgot the information that I learned. <laughs> you know there's a difference. There is a difference. Okay. All right. There's a difference between a town I mean, they're different words. Yeah. Yeah. Townhouse, townhome, same thing. But really, is a townhouse a townhome? And that depends how comfortable you are. It's true. It does. Yeah. It's yeah. true. The uh, a home... Wait... A town home is where the heart is, I think. Yeah, yeah. I tell my girlfriend, wait, let's turn this town house into a town home. Yeah, let's and do it right it now. It leaves me looking for other property because I, I get yeah. broken up with. Well, don't invite kid and play over because they might have a townhouse party. <laughs> uh, fun, fun moving story. I always wanted this to happen uh, not to me but to somebody else, but in turn it, it happened to me instead. So on, on Friday afternoon, we're moving across the city of Portland, and that means little to other people. It doesn't matter. So I got rid of a lot of furniture including a 94-inch sofa last week that I, I gave. To, uh, it was advertised on Craigslist for free, and so a man came to get the sofa, 94 inches long. Yeah, uh, he 90, came to get say, the sofa. You say 94-inch sofa free, you transport, something like that. Yeah, yeah, somebody comes to get it, and uh, this is actually not the story I meant to tell, but a guy came over to get <laughs> the, the sofa, and I was like, okay, you brought a, a truck, it'll fit in there, presumably. Let's just get the sofa out of the unit. And you have and, to help? And, uh, I, I had to help. Uh, because this is a 94-inch sofa, right, and it was a, it turned out to be a roughly a, a 94 and one half inch doorway. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And that that evening, I gave away a sofa and an entertainment center, an IKEA entertainment center. And the people, the person who came to get the sofa arrived at seven, and the people who were getting the entertainment center arrived at 7:30. And when the people who came to get the entertainment center arrived, they uh, they arrived to a stranger. Uh, actually, two strangers and a sofa in the doorway of the apartment <laughs> containing the entertainment center, and so I I got to hand the entertainment center to them around the sofa in the doorway, and then when they were gone, I resumed helping this man with his free sofa. That do you after remember his arriving, getting this sofa into the door? Well, that's the thing. I hired movers to do that part. And you're uh, not so hiring movers. Th- oh, I see. I, I see. did not hire movers this time, although I will go back to that. So the movers did it quickly, although I remember they struggled. But the man arrived at 7, and uh, he left at 9 with no. the sofa. <laughs> he left at 9 with the sofa. And uh, in the process of moving said sofa, he, we did successfully get it down to his truck eventually. In the process, we put a hole in the roof <laughs> of the apartment <laughs> uh, because of the sofa. And uh, and that is the prelude to the the actual story. I wanted to tell that has nothing to do with a sofa, but it does have to do with moving. The rest of my stuff was moved into, or packed into one of those U-Haul trucks, a small one, like 10 feet long or something. Mm -hmm. And and so in the back, there was like a desk and some boxes and an office chair and everything. And you are familiar with uh, Fangraph's employee and and friend of both of ours, Matthew Corey. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, so Matthew Corey lives not far away from where my girlfriend lives, and so now where I live. And... Because we're temporarily in this unit, there's no, not room for my desk. Uh, he very lovingly agreed to allow me to leave my desk in his basement for the next few weeks until I can go get it in a bigger place. So we drive to uh, Matthew Corey's place and we drop off the desk. And to get to the desk in the back of the truck, we, we take out my office chair and then we put it back. And then 
etc. So we get back in the truck, and my girlfriend's driving. I'm in the passenger seat, and we're going a few blocks, and uh, my girlfriend thinks she hears the uh, the back door of the truck kind of rattling a little bit, and she mm-hmm. says, "I I don't know. Did we remember to lock the back of the truck?" And I was like, "Yeah, we, I'm sure we locked the back of the truck. We're not idiots." And so. We we turn and then we're going down. So 39th, 39th in Portland is a busy street on the east side. 39th and Hawthorne is the intersection we're driving through. Hawthorne is another busy street. That's so big, this is a busy yeah, that's intersection. A, that's, that's just uh, that's like on the what the eastern edge of uh, what's that park there? Uh, Laurel Laurelhurst. It's around there. Yeah. 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 So we're going through 39th and Hawthorne, busy intersection. Four o'clock on a Friday afternoon, sunny afternoon. So it's busy, and uh, we go through the intersection as the light <laughs> turns yellow. And, and my girlfriend hears we we hear the the officer rolling around in the back of the truck. Is the point? We hear it rolling around, which whatever. It's on wheels. It's an office chair. We get Wait, to the first intersection. First of all, you shouldn't. You know, you could just put it upside down. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of things we could have done. Yeah, it sounds there's like there's a lot it. of things we could have done. There's a lot of things we didn't do. There's one thing we did do, and that was put the office chair on its wheels. That's that's the way the chair. What's the thing you didn't do? Can you get to that part of the story? Yeah, so so after we go through the intersection, my girlfriend thinks she hears something. She pulls over to a side street, and she's like, okay, can you just go lock the back or something? Because this is making me nervous. We we were pretty close to her apartment. <laughs> so I get out of the truck, and I go around the back, and the back of the truck is wide open. <laughs> <laughs> the, door, the door has lifted itself to the top. It's like what, you know one of those automatic lifting U-Haul doors. And I, the first thing I see is, okay, the door is open. And the second thing I see, or rather the first thing I don't see, is the office chair. <laughs> and so I think, oh, my God, it's actually gone. And so everything else looks like it's in place. Nothing else is on wheels, thankfully. Yeah. I go around the front of the truck, and I, as I'm approaching uh, the window to tell my girlfriend, hey, the back of the truck is wide open and the chair isn't there, I hear that, I see that she's, like, speaking or kind of yelling aggressively at this car that's in front of us on the same very narrow side street and what my girlfriend thinks the car is doing is like telling us to move out of the way because we're going the wrong direction or something Mm -hmm. but what the other driver is actually doing is saying hey you lost a chair in the intersection and it's there on the corner if you uh and it's it's just there if you want to go get it and so the other driver is actually being a good samaritan who followed us to the side and you're and you're and your girlfriend is laying into these (laughs) my girlfriend is is freaking out because she doesn't know what to do about a truck that's wide open when you're moving and so she's kind of stressed out which i understand and it's a it's stressful to drive those trucks Mm. in the first place but i think okay okay so the chair fell out we never heard any sirens or like screeching so thankfully it didn't seem like there was any sort of like accident or commotion caused by a chair yeah yeah in in our wake uh so i go back i walk back to the intersection and i see the chair (laughs) on the corner of hawthorne and 39th busy street uh, right next to the Hawthorne Theater, local venue. Yeah, uh, right, of course. Medium-sized yeah. venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just there. There's like a crowd of people waiting for the bus, and there's my office chair, as if it's waiting for the bus. <laughs> and I, I go up to get the chairs chair. Chairs can't take the bus. I know. The chairs can't, although people can sit in the chair waiting for the bus. It's like a little feature. But I go up to the chair, and I, I apprehend it. I don't have to explain myself to anybody, because I don't know. Why would I? It's my yeah. life. Yeah. And I have the chair, and then I'm just rolling the chair down three blocks back to the truck on a Friday afternoon, just rolling an office chair down the street. Now, listen, it's conceivable that some of these people saw the chair fall out of the truck, yeah? Oh, absolutely. And nobody had to know that it was mine, but I think uh, some people must have seen it, but nobody said anything. And there there was no evidence of any accident. The chair itself has some some battle scars, we'll say, but I actually now have more of an attachment to the chair than I used to because it kind of went for it, you know? It thought it had its freedom, but, uh, (laughs) but it didn't. So as as it turned out, everything was was fine, and we put the chair back in the truck, and we went a few more blocks to 
to get home and, and unpack, but I wish that I could have seen it from the perspective of not the car right behind the truck, but maybe the car next to the car right behind the truck, just in, just in case. Yeah. But, cause you know, you, you picture this moving truck that's speeding through a yellow light and then something just rolls out the back of it into a busy intersection. Yeah, like well, a busy cause first of all, you're seeing whoever was you, behind you clearly is seeing that you have no, that your door is open. Yeah, yeah, it had become open. Yeah, uh, and so and they're thinking, what, 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 this is not, <laughs> this should not, this is not how it's supposed to be this going is, down. Yeah. This is not how it's supposed to be going, and that chair is on wheels. So, uh, well, maybe the driver behind us anticipated, uh, what, mm-hmm. what happened because he could see the chair coming. Maybe it left some space. It's good defensive driving, and, and based on the evidence, there, yeah. there was good defensive driving, but it really could have caused a real problem. Uh, in retrospect, losing stuff at the back of a moving truck and during rush hour on a busy street. That's gonna be. That's a good location you got over there. You're yeah, near, yeah, uh, and, and you're near Pizza Shoals. I think. Yeah. You're near yeah. Porque No, the second location. Yeah, we're actually about to be closer to the Porque No uh, when we when we move. No, really. Yeah, gonna be up on. Uh, I don't know. We're gonna be up on Hawthorne. And then you have one of the. I think that, that the other Albina press location is right over there, too, isn't it? No, I don't know. Um, I don't you know don't drink coffee? I do drink coffee. Oh, well, there's an Albina, Albina press, I think, right on the Hawthorne in, like, uh, 50... You know, there's that weird churn. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you take a right. Yeah, I think that I think that the other Albina press is over there. Well, up, by, uh, up by Sapphire Hotel, the old brothel. Oh. <laughs> 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 that's that's fitting given the picture that I see of you as we're having this oh, conversation. Oh yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah it's a terrible. Image. Yeah, that's yeah. a man who knows a thing or two about brothels. Yeah, <laughs> uh. I was trying to figure out that what what I think about Common Grounds Coffee House. I don't know anything about it. I, I don't know how long it's been there. You know, established ninety mm-hmm. one. It, lo- it looks like maybe it's more of a second wave coffee house as opposed to the third wave, which is my preference. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Yeah, right yeah, there, fiftieth it turns or it has that weird turn. Yeah. Mm, so you can check that. You can check out that that's that Albina Press, that location is what is uh I've I think I only have ever visited once or twice, but I think it's a very well appointed uh coffee house in that town. Well um, you'd be interested to know that in the years since you left Portland there are uh, approximately as many new coffee shops as there are new people. Yeah, yeah, well I know yes, yeah. I that seems to be the case. I've seen a couple like uh you know, I am a as someone, and of course there are all different ways to do it. But because I uh, don't have an office, I like to work out of the you know to to get my body out of the house. Yeah, uh, I do it less uh, where I live now because there's not a lot in the way of coffee coffee shops. But um, but yeah, when it, whenever I go somewhere, I'm always like really excited to find the best places. And I will say this is that <clears throat> I do not have I. I do not have any sort of palate for coffee. Mm-hmm. I, you know, like I feel like with beers, I feel like with beers, I'm pretty decent. I could taste mm-hmm. the differences, nuances. Wine, not, wine, much less than that actually. <laughs> wine, not really. Uh, I could taste. I can guess if it's red or white usually. Yeah. Well, based on my experience uh, dining with you, you were always practicing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but but with coffee, I don't. I just don't have. Uh, palette. And I know that if you go into some of the third wave coffee houses, and many of you know, there are a number of them in Portland, a number of very attractive. The, the baristas, <laughs> the baristas 
bully you a little bit. And I, there's one, there was one in Paris I went to, a couple in Paris I went to, where I would like ask for cream uh, <laughs> with my coffee, and uh, I would get like varying degrees of response, but they were usually to the effect that this person now disdained. Disdained me. They're like, what I'll are you give doing? you some cream. Yeah, they were I'll like, put what some are cream you, yeah. in your coffee. Yeah, but this, this is the thing. So I, I remember well, actually when I was in Madison, there was one guy who, who was a little bit more reasonable about it. But I said, oh, can I have some cream? He said, well, all right, but this is a good coffee. Will you please have some of it at least before you put the cream in? Uh-huh. And I said, I'm going to do that, but I'm, and that's fine. First of all, I'm not going to really, un- I'm not going to be able to tell you. I'm not going to give you a taste profile. All right. <laughs> I'm going to know coffee. And, like, I could tell, like, there's between, like, coffee that has been carefully made and then that sort, which is, you know, it's sort of like a, you know, like a, a highway gas station. I could tell that that much difference. Yeah. But I'm not going to be able to taste it. And first, also, it gives – it makes my stomach hurt if there's not milk. Also, and I said, also, it just tastes good with cream. And he said, well, yeah, he, this is what he said. And I'm going to give him a douchey voice just for the sake of effect. Uh-huh. He goes – well, of course it tastes better like that because cream is fat and delicious, fattening, you know. And I was like, yeah, so let's put it in the coffee because <laughs> it's never like there are other drinks, right, like wine and beer. I don't feel inclined, <laughs> inclined to put cream into them because I already like their taste. <laughs> so wait, my point is, my point is why aren't we just having – if we have such um, enthusiastic coffee aficionados – why aren't we also – why aren't they not equally as interested in the cream that you could potentially put in your coffee to make the coffee delicious? Well, maybe – but did you like beer from the very beginning? Uh, not, I mean, not when I was six. But, yeah, I when – you know, when it when it became – when it didn't have to be something that I hid from adults, yeah, I was really into beer. Yes, All I right. was, Jeff. I guarantee – yeah. And, 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 and I would tell you – I feel this way, and this is a good discussion, I think, to have. I was having this discussion recently about the uh, – and I was sort of framing it in, in baseball prospect terms of high ceilings and low and fl- ceilings versus floors. Yeah. Uh, I think pizza, for example, has a very high floor. Oh, right? yeah. I think um, – uh, and, and I feel the same way about beer. I would much rather have just a, a – whatever – a you know, a Pabst or a Schmitz or a Hams, yep. then no beer. That's absolutely how I feel about <laughs> that. Unless the taste, there was one beer I had, and I can't remember it. It was a cheap beer that's made in the Midwest. They, they, it seemed like they had an, attempted to give it a, a nuanced taste. It had failed miserably, uh-huh. uh, and it was actively bad. But there are very few beers that I feel are actively bad. I'm always pretty much happy to be drinking beer. So, uh, So that's... Yeah, I know. Uh, there's there's the attitude that goes with coffee because it's it's such an artisanal craft. Uh, I don't know if now more than ever, but there's at least more attention on it now. And there's so much care put into roasting the beans and and learning how to make the perfect cup that, especially in a place like Portland or a, I guess you call them third wave coffee shops. I don't know much about any of the waves of coffee shops, but that's that's beside the point. That in any place that cares a lot about coffee, then it to them is just like if you put something, I don't know what it would be, but in like a double IPA, if you added something that would smooth out the flavor or sweeten it or, I don't know, even like a couple chunks of ice where you would look at a person and think, well, no, you're disrespecting the craft. And it's exactly the same with coffee. And and I think that 
it's on the one hand, it's fine to uh, say that hey, this is how my product is meant to be consumed because mm-hmm. that's that's the whole point. That's what they're doing, and I I believe it. I like black coffee, but at the same time, I don't think you should begrudge people for who who are consuming your product and then uh, adjusting it to their own taste because ultimately, who are yeah. you to give a shit about what somebody else is enjoying? Yeah, and again, let me submit. It is a little bit of a medical concern because I get a stomach <laughs> ache. And um, but if I use cream, I don't know. It, whatever the cream does, it, I don't get a stomach ache. So that's yeah, the it's thing. interesting. You get a stomach ache from the lack of of lactose in your coffee. Lack of lack of lactose. You get a stomach yeah. ache from. Are you lactose intolerant? Or you no, st- I'm not. But many people are. Many people are lactose yeah. intolerant as opposed to selectively lactose tolerant. Selectively lactose. Like you can only have aggressively tolerant. Yeah, aggressively tolerant. I, yeah. I've been reading this this book about the original English expeditions to Mount Everest, and so far through 300 pages, they haven't gotten there yet. So this is going well, but they've <laughs> they've been going through. Uh, they spent a lot of time in Tibet, and the, I was never really familiar before with the concept of Tibetan tea. Uh, are you familiar with Tibetan tea at all? No, but is it going to be? Is it something I'm going to be interested in after this? Well, I don't know. On the one hand. If you think of it as tea, no. But if you think of it as, as something else, yeah. Yeah, what's the other thing I can think of? The the way that it's explained, and I don't recall all the details, but it's it's kind of... It's You're not going to recall any details because cause you don't know that there's a town, townhouse and a condominium. We've already established that. Yeah. And now and now you're not quite sure about this other subject that you've brought okay. regarding here are, tea. Here are adjectives that have been applied in the book to Tibetan tea. Uh, I've never made Tibetan tea. I don't know the process, but adjectives would be uh, rancid. That's a bad one. Mm-hmm. That's a bad one. But there's buttery, uh, creamy, thick, and salty. And so oh. I think that I believe it's also referred to as butter tea, or at least butter tea is pretty similar to that. And while I don't understand what butter tea is as an entity, I don't know what it would be like to drink it. It seems like soup, like you have afternoon soup uh in Tibet and they refer to it as tea but really you know better it's it's soup <laughs> or broth like chicken noodle soup except without the chicken and the noodles and i was reminded of this when you were talking about uh adjusting coffee to turn it into something that uh, is is quite different which would be your addition of cream and what it seems that the Tibetans do is add cream and fat and butter which is just cream and fat, so never mind, yeah. and some savory elements to their tea, such that uh, sometimes it might go rancid, which is what happens when it's 1921 and you're in the Tibetan country. But as uh, as you respond to the point that I just raised, I'm going to look up Tibetan tea. Yeah, why do you do that? I have to say. Well, let me ask you a question while you're looking up Tibetan tea. Have you read uh, a book by an author named Bowman? Uh, W.H. Bowman, W-something Bowman, W.E. Bowman. Uh, Bowman called The Ascent of Rum Doodle. I have... Uh, I recognize half of those words. The ascent of rum doodle. The uh, well, let me ask you uh, an ancillary question, which is: Are you familiar with the, uh, the book uh, by Jerome K. Jerome, Three Men in a Boat? I'm familiar with very few books. Oh God! Well, the, this is going nowhere. But in any case, <laughs> uh, ascent. So Jer- Jerome K. Jerome's Three Men in a Boat is a comic novel, a British comic novel from the early 20th century, I believe, uh, about uh, three. Uh, leisure gentleman mm-hmm. and a dog who uh, take a boat trip down the Thames. And it's written in a very wry and dry comic style that um, if you this is the sort of thing you enjoy, you will enjoy this greatly. Uh, the Ascent of Rum Doodle was written by W. Bowman, not at all as famous as Jerome K. Jerome's uh, Three Men in a Boat, but it is, it is a similar sort of endeavor. It is the account of... Um, 
of uh, the ascent of a, a fictional mountain in the Himalayas called Rumdoodle, which is 43,000 mm-hmm. feet and a half. And uh, it is written in the same style. Um, the, the narrator is, is, a, is a sort of – he's a not particularly competent leader of this expedition of the mountain, and he's also um, not particularly sharp such that um, he's – When all of his, uh, you know, companions are um, getting drunk on wine, um, he's not, necess- he's not, uh, he doesn't understand what's happening. But uh, yeah, it's written in a wry style that will mm-hmm. uh, make you chuckle. Is uh, all okay. I wanted to say. The ascent of Rum Doodle. Perhaps one person listening has has heard that, and now uh, they say, "Wow, there's someone else out there just like me." Well, uh, a new edition that was released in 2001 with an introduction by uh, Bill Bryson. Yes. Uh, referring to the ascent of uh, Rum Doodle. Right. And, and, and because of Bill Bryson's introduction. Now, uh, well, I, we'll leave my opinions yeah. about Bill Bryson are unimportant to everybody. Okay. So, uh, so butter tea. Wait a butter second. Tea. But I want to say that Bill Bryson okay. uh, suggests a couple of other comic novels in that one of them called, uh, one of them called Diary, of, Diary of Nobody, which I've just started and which is also mm-hmm. amusing. So there you go. Hey. Okay, so uh, so butter tea, also known as pocha, uh, it's a drink of the people in the Himalayan regions of Nepal, India, and Bhutan, and the most famously Tibet. It is a uh, blah 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 Bhutan Buddhist monks. Traditionally, it is made from tea leaves, yak butter, water, and salt. Uh, mm. Although, given its wider availability and reduced cost, butter made from cow's milk is increasingly used. Mm. Now, uh, m- more interestingly, drinking butter tea is a regular part of Tibetan life. Uh, nomads are said to often drink up to 40 cups of it a day. Uh, butter oh is a main ingredient, so it provides plenty of caloric energy and is particularly suited to high altitudes. And here's an interesting thing, interesting custom, if you are ever drinking butter tea with a traditional Tibetan monk. Uh, according to the Tibetan custom, butter tea is drunk in separate sips, and after each sip, the host refills the bowl to the brim. So the guest never drains his bowl, rather it is constantly topped up. So if you do not wish to drink, the best thing to do is to leave the tea untouched until the time time comes to leave, and then you drain the bowl, and that way the host is not offended. Well, that's the way to do it. Yeah. So you really you still have to drink it though. Yeah, yeah. I'm basically you. Uh, you boil the tea leaves in water for half a day. Keeps a dark brown color. That's a very long steeping time. It's then uh, then skimmed, poured into a cylinder with fresh yak butter and salt, which is then shaken. The result is a purplish liquid. That's that sounds good. That is uh, about the thickness of a stew or thick oil. Well, that's Wait. great. That's great information. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So that's uh, that's Tibetan butter tea. Hey, that's all I got. Okay, good. <laughs> good. Um, Well, I always had I had uh, had the high ceiling, low ceiling kind of thing, but we're talking about mountains. Can I can I ask you what do you know about tsunamis and earthquakes? Uh, Anything? A, a decent amount. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why do you ask? Because so, <laughs> uh, uh, my wife is of course is a teacher, and it's mm-hmm. the summer now. She spent all of June in France, but she has recently returned to the states, and uh, she's we've had some of our. It's nice because you know during the school year she's, she's typically. Um, pretty involved with her job, and now she's able to, um, t- you know, to sort of relax a little bit and uh, catch up on a year's worth, essentially, of New Yorker uh, <laughs> um, oh, okay. issues. Yeah. And uh, so she recently read an article. Perhaps you're aware of this already. Everybody in the Northwest is aware of this article. Oh, oh, great. Oh, good. Because because I did not read the article. She would just like stop like maybe every 15 minutes and read aloud a fact from it. 
<laughs> such as in, in the year 1700, there was a 600-mile wave that, because due to a, like a what, due to a, an earthquake on the west coast of, the, of what is now the United States, a 600-mile wave washed over Japan. That's one fact she read. The other one was, it's, there's like a hundred percent chance that it, like a, you know, like a, a category nine, category nine, nine Richter, Richter nine scale earthquake is going to hit Portland or surroundings uh, within the next hundred years. Mm-hmm. So well, well, tell me, tell me, but so you're aware of the article. What's like some other things? If she cared about me, my wife would have said to me about the article. Well, if you cared about it, you're thankfully not here anymore for these purposes. But, uh, so yeah, the article was, for anyone who doesn't know, there was an article in the New Yorker talking about the coming mega earthquake that is going to happen in the Pacific Northwest, uh, based upon the, the habitual recurrence pattern of a, a major fault that runs through or near Seattle, Portland, everything in between, et cetera. Because it, what so, is, this, is this, is it, is it, um, is it in the Cascades? Is that kind of where the fault is? Uh, it's of similar, uh, cause, but the cascades are representation of, uh, represent a subduction zone where a plate is sliding under another plate. So there's a lot of, think of it as there's a lot of tectonic activity in this okay. part of the country, right, and yeah. that activity is responsible for why this part of the country is the most beautiful part of the 48 states. However, it's also what is going to kill a lot of people. So. Well, sorry, what? Yeah, so, uh, come on. It's, it's paradise when it's not, what, not gonna, okay. So there's, going to be at some point a very significant earthquake uh in the northwest of the country and it's like uh likely to take place somewhere within the next few hundred years uh at least based on, upon the current analysis and there was there was one particular quote in the article that I think was uh, a lot of people seized onto and it was an irresponsible quote maybe taken out of context where some guy who works for I think it was FEMA mm. uh, some guy who works for FEMA said that uh, basically, our operational model is that everything west of I-5 will be toast. And I think a lot of people uh, saw that and thought, oh, no, because I-5 runs through Seattle and Portland and a lot of worse cities in between. But what is really the problem is, I guess you've got earthquake problems and you've got tsunami problems. Tsunami problems are going to affect what's called the inundation zone, where you... Uh, you take everything you know about the Oregon coast and the Washington coast, and then you wipe it out, and you start with a whole new coast. Is essentially what's going to happen uh, at some point. The there will be if there is a major earthquake, there will be a tsunami. The tsunami will overtake the uh, low-lying coastal lands in Oregon, Washington, and some of Northern California, and they will destroy all of those towns. Those towns know it. There's the tsunami evacuation plans that are posted mm-hmm. yeah, all well, over in the fact, towns. Yeah, right. There's always signs out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Those those cities know what's coming, and it's going to happen. Uh, Seattle and Portland would not really experience anything from the tsunami. Maybe there would be a little bit in the Puget Sound, maybe a little bit of a swell coming down the Columbia River in Portland, but uh, Seattle and Portland would be under no real hazard from the tsunami, but then there would be the earthquake problems, where California, of course, is more famous for its earthquakes, except what's happened in California is that developers have uh, more, they've built buildings such that they can be earthquake resistant and because the problem that, is so pronounced they've uh, addressed it yeah because everybody knows about the earthquakes in california uh but fewer people have known about them in seattle and portland and in fact i think the article goes into some detail about how portland didn't really start building for an earthquake until the 1980s which is <laughs> pretty recent <laughs> relative yeah, and, to when and, a lot and, of buildings were 
I can guarantee that even though there's newer construction in, uh, there than in other parts of the country, it is not all uh, post-1980. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just moved out of a building built in 1950. It's probably toast. So there's uh, there's parts of Seattle built on loose ground that would liquefy. There's parts of Portland built on loose ground that would liquefy. I think the estimate is that 15 of Portland's 17 bridges that cross the rivers would uh, be destroyed, isolating parts of the city from other parts. Uh, the Ooh, estimate in the article is that they expect about 27,000 people to die. I don't know how they came up with that, but uh, many of them would not be homeless, presumably, although I think in the aftermath many people would be become homeless. But uh, I think what was interesting for one thing was to read the article, but then to read, uh, because the article generated so much attention, there was a lot of response articles. that, Like I saw on, on Reddit, they did one of those Ask Me Anythings, you know, the Reddit mm-hmm. AMAs. They did that with uh, three area earthquake experts from the northwest, and and they were saying that yeah, actually, like the article is not really sensationalized uh, that much, but there are parts that people will cling on to that maybe they shouldn't. Like for example, that everything west of the I five being toast, and that what's really most important is that you should always be aware of the likelihood of this happening because it. It could happen, and you just need to be prepared. And so I think the real consequence will be uh, people making earthquake preparedness kits, which I remember doing in California because we we're told about earthquakes from a very young age. But up here, there's there's less of that, but it is important to be prepared. They recommend a gallon of water per person a day, uh, et cetera. So there's a uh, I, so where so if you wanted to get if you wanted to have a ho- a home on the new coast, where where would you build? Yeah, well I. Uh, you could you could guess, but you shouldn't. You, <laughs> should, uh, you should wait until you see, because I, I suspect yeah, that, that it's too late. Be, though there will be much the, land available. There's already development going on after the seconds after. Yeah, you yeah. Need I don't to, know. Just buy I, the property. You don't even have to build a house yet. I don't know where the coast is going to. I mean, even with like the with the water levels rising right globally every year, the the coast is going to shift anyway all the time. But I don't know where it's going to end up because I don't know if there's going to be land uplifting or, or what. If you build on a slope, then you're just looking at a destroyed house from the next earthquake, etc. I was reminded of a, I was reading this passage uh, in the Wikipedia page for uh, Cotopaxi. Cotopaxi being in, a volcano in uh, in Ecuador, and this is a a somewhat common phenomenon. But I'll just read you one little passage. Yeah. Uh, there, Cotopaxi's most violent eruptions in, in, in historical times occurred in the years 1742, 1744, 1768, and 1877. Okay. The 1744 and 1768 events destroyed the colonial town of Latacunga. Mm-hmm. Okay. So remember that. 19, 1744 and 1768, the events, the eruption destroyed the colonial town of Latacunga. Wait, so, what, so, so there was one in 1744 and the people of Latacunga were like, yeah, what's the, how, how often does that happen? I think that it was partially destroyed by each one. So okay, right. I think it was the the job was finished in 1768. Okay. Destroy the colonial town of Latacunga. Okay. Now skip ahead uh, uh, one sentence, and then in the uh, in the 1877 event, the city of Latacunga was again leveled completely due to the mudslide deposits. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they had a town that was built uh, in the valley near an active volcano, and then the volcano uh, went boom, and then the town was no more. And so what the people thought was, well, but we liked it there, so let's do it again. And what are the odds? And then a hundred years later, it, it happened again. Mm. So, And yet there are people who, because a hundred years is a long time, 
There are people, well, to humans, it's a long time. There, there are people who live between those two times, and uh, it was it couldn't have been further from their mind, in theory. I mean, maybe there was some activity, but not yeah. to the extent that it would destroy the whole town. Yeah, no, absolutely. Nobody alive in 1877 would have been alive in 1768 when that same town was destroyed. Right. And there's towns everywhere, like all over the globe, that are built in, in dangerous areas from any sort of uh, phenomenon, not just volcanoes and earthquakes, but you've mm-hmm. got your tornadoes and your floods and your, I don't know, other things that you happen. You know, when I... Uh, when I go to like some of your larger metropolitan you know, cities all over the world, you know, like London, Paris, Milan, you know, your really stylish cities, yeah. I'm in I'm in danger of uh, being sworn by heterosexual women. <laughs> it's just a, well, it's a, that's a danger to me. It's a good thing you always bring your spray. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. There's a there and likewise there's. A very good probability that all the people alive right now in Portland and Seattle and in between will be dead far before the Earth would render them dead uh, from the earthquake. Yeah, so well, let's hope. <laughs> there's, there's really not. You'd think maybe this will stem the tide of people moving here, but it's, it's not really that much of a deterrent because it's still mm. a beautiful place and it's. And not rent. That's the key. This is a great argument for renting, as if there needed to be another one. In in favor of renting, this is this is yet another good one. Because what? Because if you're renting, right? Yeah. It's not. What, what's the worst that can happen? Well, uh, in the apartment where I'm currently living, uh, collapse and death. It's a possibility. It's. I mean. Well, you're renting the living room. The living room sags uh, above the convenience store what about below. Your, what about your next place, though? I don't know. I don't know when it was built, but I'm going to guess pre-1980. Okay. Yeah, but uh, how is how big is it? Are you gonna? It's two stories made of brick. I don't know how stable it is. You're fine. You're fine. I'm sure it's fine. I'm not too worried, and uh, provided this doesn't happen in the next two weeks, because I would die in this building. Yeah. Well. On the other hand, if I collapse through the roof and there's a convenience store below, what better place? (laughs) Yeah, stores. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You would have uh, you would have ample munitions. Yeah. I don't know about munitions, but I'd have ample Kit Kat. Uh. Let's see. Tsunami? Oh, yeah, we asked about tsunami. So, so you told me about tsunami. So, this, so the coast will suffer the tsunami. I went, I've watched. I've tried to watch as many tsunami videos as I can on the Internet. Yeah. Um, and it seems like the water goes out and then it comes back. Is that usually right? Yeah. Okay. Because what, what, it's, dis, it's being displaced. It's The water is being displaced. Mm-hmm. Why does it go out first? Uh, <coughs> excuse me. I don't know enough about tsunami mechanics mm-hmm. to be able to answer that. Okay, but you agree that that's typically what happens. That is that is absolutely what happens. Yeah, I, and I think that's dangerous, right? Because people uh, they happen infrequently enough that people are like, "Whoa, that's um, that is a an unusual thing. Let's uh-huh. go explore." Yeah, no, don't don't so, do that. Because yeah. I think there was one uh, the mid maybe the fifties or sixties. There was a terrible earthquake in Anchorage. Um. And uh, something like that happened. Uh, mm-hmm. The uh, all the water, 1964, yeah, all the water uh, went away, and then people were, oh, what's going on here? And then, uh, then it swept, and killed a lot of them. Are you searching? Are you looking it up? Yeah, I did for a second. It's 1964. Yeah. Yeah. I, I meant the uh, the tsunami mechanics of why that happens. No, no, I'm not going to do that. I was hoping you would know. You know, uh, speaking of earthquakes and earthquake preparedness among cities, um, my my wife and I, my wife, uh, my wife and I were recently at in um, uh, Mexico City. I think in March we were there, and uh, I was concerned much of the time I was there. 
Well, not much of the time I was there because frequently just walking around and who, who cares. But, uh, you know, the, that, that, that area is prone to earthquakes. In fact, there was, I think it was a very bad one in 1985. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, we, we went, we visited the Torre Latin Americana, which is, I think, the, maybe it's the large, large tall skyscraper uh, downtown in Mexico City. It's very, it's huge. 44 stories. That seems, that sounds big to me. Anyway, you can go up and you can see the whole city and the surrounding mountains, et cetera. And, um, but knowing this, and I didn't, it didn't quite occur to me, at, but then when we reached the top, there's like a bar on top. We were at the bar, and then I started to feel that sort of uh, pucker <laughs> in my ass. You know, you feel the, it's like, oh, this is the dread. But yeah. you feel, when you start feeling it, dread in your ass, that's real, that's, it's not, that's not manufactured. You know, that is your body. You yeah. are now a mammal reacting to danger. Yeah, you cannot do that yourself. That no, is you a very No, I've tried too. I, I'm trying to learn, the, what is it, the Kugel? Kegels. Kegels, Kegels. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, um, yeah, but no, to no avail. Um, and I started to worry, but then I had a nice thought. I had a reassuring thought, which was that this same building, which was built, uh, the internet tells me, in 1956, has, has has experienced a number of earthquakes, including the 1985 earthquake. So mm-hmm. then, at, so at that level, I thought, "Well, that's uh, now I feel, I feel in uh, in uh, invulnerable. I felt invulnerable." Right. And if anything, if if said earthquake didn't kill the building, then it follows it only made it stronger. Right, as science yeah. teaches us. Yeah, so I'm looking at the uh, the drawback section of the tsunami Wikipedia page, and it's just not as interesting as you want it to be. So I'm not going to tell you why. Uh, why? It's why called that a drawback, though. You've at it's least called the drawback. It has its own section. It's just talking about whether the wave arrives at its trough or uh, or at its uh, the other yeah. thing, not the trough. I really it's want. Ridge. I really want because the video I've seen of tsunamis, it's it, what it looks like is just. It's just like it's, it looks like. Now let's pretend, for this sake, I, I, I have no interest in, in either. Well, certainly mine or anyone else's uh, feelings about um, the presence of a deity in the universe. Let's pretend there there is a god. Well, just very traditional man in the sky, okay? Mm-hmm. And God is like, okay. Um, and but to me, what happens when when it, when when a tsunami happens? It looks like God just put too much water there. <laughs> like he was like filling it up and then the water was supposed to stop at the beach but then the water keeps uh keeps coming until and it it does terrible things right but yeah. but it looks like it just over overspills its bounds and it just keeps going god's like ah too much <laughs> water need more land we need more land yeah but but you know the blueprint was already there yeah and he just effed up yeah, yeah, um, you can't take that water back. I know I, there's like the. Go ahead. Well, what I want a tsunami to be is a, a giant wave. I want mm-hmm. it to be hundreds of feet tall, and and this is what it looks like in my dreams. I have dreams. I have tsunami dreams sometimes, but they're not really tsunami dreams because this is not how tsunamis look, at least so far as I know. Mm-hmm. I want them to be these waves, hundreds of feet tall, that crash on the beach. Yeah, yeah, that's not that's not what it's like. They, it basically looks like the water level is very quickly rising. Yeah, that's there was all, a yeah. there was a neat excerpt, neat or or terrifying, I don't know, excerpt from Let's the, work with the terrifying. same. Compelling? Let's go with terrifying. That's coming somewhere in the middle. Gripping. It's a gripping excerpt from oh, the New gripping, Yorker article. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, it's it's essentially talking about how tsunamis are unsurvivable. Unsurvivable. Oh yeah, that's right. That's the biggest problem. Yeah, and it says uh, those who cannot get out of the inundation zone under their own power 
will quickly be overtaken by a greater one. A grown man is knocked over by ankle-deep water, moving at 6.7 miles per hour. So think about that. Wait a no. Yeah. That's water and is heavy. That's what you learn. Water is. I uh, not too long ago when it was one of those hot ass weekends in Portland, some friends and I went to uh, an area river to just read by the water and then do whatever you do when you're by a river. Which mm-hmm. if if you're anyone, if you've ever been anyone, you throw rocks <laughs> and then you try to get into the river by crossing it on on large stones. Mm-hmm. And I mean so that's, just tip, to, that's just the, that's boilerplate behavior for being by a river. Yeah, yeah. You throw rocks and then you step on rocks into mm-hmm. uh, into the rocks onto yeah. other rocks. And and we were trying to see how far we could sort of wade through the river before it got too deep. And even though it was not a powerful river, this is like July in in Oregon, not a powerful river, not that deep. When uh when you are in water up to I would say like your shin, and the water was only moving a few miles per hour, it was extremely powerful. Like I uh, at one point I I swam across the river, and then I tried to swim back to where where my friends were, and uh, there, the river was moving, so there was a current, and what I wanted to do was <laughs> swim in a straight line across uh, across the water, but the way that my girlfriend tells it is that when I got in the water, <laughs> I was immediately carried downstream at about an 80-degree angle from where I wanted to go, and so while I eventually got to the other side, water is obnoxiously powerful, yeah. and also the prob- the other problem with tsunamis is that uh, it starts as water, and then it's also like cinder blocks and cars and... and Cats oh, and, right. and things that get in there. Yes, yeah. Water's a real dick. Water is a real dick. <laughs> you know, like sometimes you're just drinking it, like you know, like you have to do to survive, and then you just swallow it wrong, and then you're yeah. miserable for three minutes. Yeah, right. And it's like, listen, millions of years of evolution, <laughs> and we haven't figured out just drinking. My body is what three quarters water. It's like ninety percent water, right? That's what they oh, say. Oh, ninety, yes, yeah, sure. 90, or the world maybe is three quarters water, or is that also ninety yeah. percent? I think water? the water world is like two thirds water. The surface is two thirds water, or something, and then all right, yeah, yeah, all your right. body, yeah. My body's ninety. Yeah, and I can't. I just haven't figured <laughs> it out yet. It's so vital to living. You would think that, you know, regard the the, the key to natural selection. You really would have weeded out all of the people who can't successfully drink a <laughs> cup of water. Yeah, again, I don't know yeah. if there's any like less sympathetic uh, state of physical distress than failing to properly drink your own water cuz it, it's like it's like you're drowning it's really uncomfortable but people are just like that nobody gives a dude yeah like, just... oh you drank water wrong <laughs> you deserve what you get you should be dead people turn on you you should just <laughs> you should die now dead. you should be dead <laughs> yeah that's right you, you can't even yeah you can't even yeah this most basic skill yeah. Like yeah. imagine imagine if you're like uh you're going on a I don't know, something dangerous, like a trek. You're going to go do like the Inca Trail, right? Mm-hmm. And you're you have a guide, you have a paid guide yeah. who's taking you through the wilderness for a week on the Inca Trail to get to Machu Picchu. And the first night your guide is like, Okay, so here's the plan, here's what we're gonna do, and then he takes a sip of his water and then he chokes on it. Like you're you're feeling a lot worse about your guide. Yeah, or like right, if your yeah. if your pilot did that. You know, like, hey, this is your pilot's. <coughs> Sorry, <but coughs> that just <coughs> drinking some water. It's like, I want to get off the plane. The pilot's making me uncomfortable because he's clearly an idiot. Yeah, it's a real. Yeah, it's a danger sign. It it's is a real danger sign. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. You know, I think we, yeah, we really struck upon something here. That's not something that I, I don't know if I knew that. Maybe in, you know, I would have intuited it, but it would have been a sort of nagging sensation. You know, <laughs> I would have said to myself, you know, prior to this. 
something's not right. But now I know. Now I know what it is. I feel good about that. So we got uh, we got your move. We got tsunamis. <laughs> cream in the coffee. High ceiling, low rest. ceiling. Yeah. Right, so let's. Can we? Can I just ask you to to participate here? Wait, wait. I'm gonna play the. Uh, um, will you wait a second? I could have. I gotta uh, fill up my beverage here. I'm gonna play the Fangraphs. Uh, On hold music. I love this. Hold music. Yeah, I'll be right back. This is the Fangraphs hold music. Okay. Um, oh yeah, I played this the other, uh, the other day. Well, it's sort of a spontaneously conceived thing. The, uh, d- deciding what has high and low ceilings. Mm-hmm. We've talked about this a little bit before with uh, mm-hmm. pizza, uh, beer. I mean, do you, beer. For example, beer. You 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 enjoy drinking beer, I think. Yeah. 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 Almost almost all the time. Beer. Where would it, where would you place the ceilings? And then I guess if you're going to equate it with a with a type of prospect, because I was playing with my wife and a, and a, and a friend of ours, neither of whom know much about baseball, let alone baseball prospects. So you could you could make this analogy more clearly. But like with beer, where if beer were a baseball prospect, where would you place the the ceiling and the floor? And then I guess you know who were some who were some comps. Oh, I guess it. If you classify the the macro beers as as beers, then I like I think what MGD I think is truly dreadful. It's mm-hmm. a genuinely uh, unpleasant experience. That's what the G stands consume. for. <laughs> genuine misery, uh, misery semicolon genuine genuinely dreadful dreadful Tim <laughs> Miller genuinely dreadful Miller. So uh, that's that's bad. But then you, I think that if you. Uh, there's going to be something terrible for everything, absolutely terrible. But your realistic floor, I think, maybe you have like your Coronas and like the uh, the generic beers they have in all the Latin American countries that are just all the same light thing that you could just buy for a, a quarter. And I think those are fine, and they have their place on a hot day. You can quite enjoy one of those. So I think that the floor is is reasonably high. There are beers that are more enjoyable than others, of course, but. Uh, but if I don't you're in a place ever... and someone says you can either have, yeah, that that one type of beer or no beer, yeah. do, don't you go? I always will have. I mean, I I will almost always have the beer. And at the same time, I personally, I've never had a Mike Trout beer. I've had good beers, but I've never had one that just absolutely blew me away and made me think this is a life experience that I will never forget. I've forgotten a whole lot of beers, mostly because I was drinking the beers. But I think that. I yeah, but, but I would have a higher. So you'd say that what's so what's the ceiling on beer then? You think ceiling on beer would uh uh let's go with someone like I don't know healthy Anthony Rendon. Okay. Like a really good, really really good. But uh you if you have a if you have a ceiling beer and a ceiling meal, then I think you are more likely to get more out of the ceiling meal. Than the ceiling beer. Well, the meal the meal has the me- meals right like they they inevitably have the potential for more depth because you actually need to eat, and so mm-hmm. you're participating in you're participating in a, in a, um, in an exercise in an activity that is necessary for your life, and the fact that you can also transform that into an enjoyable experience, you get you get sort of you get the both pleasures, right? Mm-hmm. But the but the floor f- for food has to be lower. 
than beer. Oh yeah, no, you can. I okay. So if you get if you're eating a piece of meat and then you run across like a bit of gristle, you know, like just mm-hmm. really unpleasant gristle that you can't chew. At least for me, that kind of spoils the meal. I will not enjoy it from then on. Maybe I'll finish it, but it's just really. What is unpleasant. gristle? What is it? Isn't isn't it just generally like con- connective tissue? Okay, yeah, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Somewhere yeah. in, the, in, the, in the animal. And uh, while I I enjoy eating meat, I uh, sometimes I don't like to be reminded that I am doing that. And gristle is a very powerful reminder of, oh, right, this was alive and this was a strong part oh, so of the you, So you don't necessarily like you, – you don't love having the thought in your head while you're eating meat that it belonged to a, a living thing? I don't – it's it? not enough to stop me, but it's, <laughs> there's a – like gristle, I find to be a lot more off-putting than like slightly al dente pasta, or like even completely al dente pasta. Right. I don't care. Well, because it's, you're because it's it's now you're not just doing me. You're like, oh, this is like, like this is this is this is cartilage that this animal like could have theoretically strained while you know trying to evade a predator or something like that. And let's also not overlook the fact that it's just really unpleasant to chew because yeah, you right. can't chew it. You don't want to swallow it. It's like if you're eating a cherry and then you just like chew on on the pit, but it's it's even worse than that. You think it's uh, worse? So than, you think it's worse I, than chewing on a pit? I think it's worse. Than, I find it to be worse than chewing on a pit, but I don't know. Yeah, uh, that's it's kind of like pit getting, is very hard. Pit is it is but actually yeah that can damage your teeth. So maybe I take it back. Yeah, take but it back, please. Gristle gristle for me can ruin uh, our meal or just like. Something that's soggy, you know, like what's what's a soggy beer? All beers are equivalently moist, right? It's all oh. just liquid. Oh, but like, yeah, if you if you if you're at like a if you're at like a you know a picnic, like you're like a like a company picnic or something, uh, and then you have the you know just the generic hot dogs and then the soggy bun, like it like somehow go water on your bun. <laughs> that's uh yeah, soggy buns. You know what has a really uh. A really low floor and a really high ceiling, I think, would be nachos. Oh, very true. You can you can do a lot with nachos, but they are easy to mess up, and sogginess would be a part of that. That's exactly right. And in that, what is the, whatever the sort of artificial cheese is, that's like a yeah. no go. But you know, for years, uh, I thought that that I thought that was nachos. I thought it was whatever the Velveeta melted cheese uh-huh. with a couple of. Um, jalapeno, you know, wedges or whatever, uh-huh. and and I thought I thought that was nachos, and then actually the first great nachos I I disliked nachos mm-hmm. until my late twenties. Oh my god! Yeah, that's why it is serious, Jeff. And then I'm telling <laughs> you, the first great nachos I had, I actually know, I know exactly where I had them was at the New Old Lompoc uh, in Northwest Portland. Interesting. I was with uh, two friends. I don't know if you know either of them. Do you know Danny or Ross? No. <laughs> <laughs> we had just played home run derby uh, at the at that park right at, like right across the street. Yeah, I'm where, sorry where you the, lost. Where the Swifts go? Yeah. Why do you think I oh, lost? Oh, okay, so that's well. Why do you think I lost? If you're playing, ho- yeah, look, it's not important. You know what? It's called mechanics. Hitting mechanics. Yeah, and I know mechanics. that I know that this past spring, Dan Farnsworth was trying to show you proper hitting mechanics when he was observing you during the softball game. Yeah, guess what? Hey, you know he hit the ball further. Who got on base more times? You know that's true. That is true because he hit the ball to you every single time, or whoever else was out there. 
Has this been discussed in the podcast? It's worth it's worth people understanding that months ago we played a Fangraph softball game and Carson Sestouli reached base more often than Dan Farnsworth, the swing expert, because Farnsworth, in his infinite wisdom, put the ball in the air like an idiot. <laughs> like he tried to, tried to slug the ball out of the yard, but you just can't do it. You can't out hit the Fangraphs outfield. You don't put the ball in the air. Carson yeah, I think it actually was not even softball. I believe it. We were we were playing wiffle ball at the time. Wiffle ball. Yeah. He essentially yeah. hit a wiffle ball as far as a wiffle ball will go. Yeah. And, which but was the, catchable. Yeah, it turns out it's not that. It's just not that far. And whoever, like you and Eric Longen, Eric Longenhagen. Yeah. Longenhagen was out there, and you guys caught you caught them. Uh, and, uh, me, meanwhile, I hit the ball terribly, but, but, so, uh, the, my, my, my exit speed was surprisingly low compared to the amount of effort I was putting into the swing. And I think there has to be some sort of research done on this. If you're really swinging hard and then you just nibble, nib, nib the ball. Anyway. My wife's, my wife had, uh, my wife, my wife had, um, hand surgery today. Oh no. Yeah, and I think I, she's supposed to be laying down, but I think I hear her wrestling around. Callie, are you wrestling around? Are you lying? (laughs) 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 You're lying down? What's all that sound? Is it the blinds? Did you get up? Ugh. She's supposed to tell me when she gets up. She just had it. She had it. She had general anesthesia, and now she's good. Now she's full of Vicodin up to the brim. Up to the brim. Yeah. Yeah. So have you been, Have you ever been put under for an operation? I have. Yeah. Any reason? Yeah. Yeah. yeah a couple times. Yeah. How did How did you How did How much on a scale of ten to ten? How much did you enjoy it? Well, you don't. Re- well, uh, so like the, I had two like sort of regular size surgeries when I was like four and eight. Hmm. Um. And I remember, I don't know, I remember zero things. I remember, like, waking up in my hospital room and, like, my mom was there. And, like, I like, hear voices and then I wake up. But then oh. the anesthesia made me quite sick uh, because I was a oh. little person. Oh, dear. And I, would, I was vomiting all night. Oh, no. Okay. And my so dad, you... <laughs> my dad, <laughs> the first time I had surgery, I was, like, four or five, I had to have my tonsils out and my uh, tubes put in my ears. And my dad, <laughs> my dad told my mom not to stay with me overnight because she would turn me into a sissy. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. He was right. I hope you had a good visit with so your mom. Why? So you, well, you've definitely been put out once, I know, because you had to, you broke your face, didn't you? Well, but I wasn't. I wasn't sedated for that. I was sedated by my own brain, not by <laughs> not by drugs. No, I, I've been put under a few other times. But I guess if you had your surgeries when you were four and eight, then you you were put under before you had a proper understanding that life was a sea of horrors that one right. must escape. And then, and then I had my wisdom teeth taken out when I was 21, and that was it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so that one you could enjoy a little bit. Yeah. 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 And I woke up. I felt I felt great. <laughs> yeah, I felt great because that was only – it wasn't the same level, the same, like, magnitude of anesthetic. But, yeah, I woke up. First of all, it feels like it, you, no time has passed. Yeah. And you wake up and you're just like, let's do this. And then in the next three days, you're like, oh, my teeth. <laughs> so I, I just remembered. So uh, on Saturday, uh, my girlfriend and I went out to some drinks with a couple friends, like friends who are a couple, whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, yeah. their names are Kelly and Dan. And, yeah, old Kelly and, and old Kelly Dan. and Dan. So I do know Danny, but he goes by Dan now. And uh, and Dan, uh, I feel Dan is a grown man. Does his last name begin with a W? No. Yeah. Right. It's not the same Dan. No. Mine's not called Danny. Danny usually, too. 
Danny Wixler? Is that his name, Danny Wixler? No, it's not. Okay, well, that was a guess. That's my only guess. So uh-huh. Kelly and Dan were out, and Ke- uh, Dan and Dan is a grown man, and Kelly is a corresponding uh, grown <laughs> Kelly, woman. Kelly is a Kelly is a twelve-year-old girl. That would be bad. Yeah, yeah. We we uh, dr- there were a few things wrong with getting drinks with them. So uh, Dan Dan is thirty years old, but a few years ago he had his wisdom teeth out. So uh-huh. older than than many people do. Yeah, right. And uh, and of course, when you get your when you have any operation, but also wisdom teeth, someone is to drive you to the place where they take they them out, to. and and yeah, then they have to drive you back because otherwise you you'll die. Yeah, uh, I think you're not permitted to in, yeah. in the lobby. Yeah. They kind of so you, yeah. so uh, Kelly is is picked Dan up from after his operation, and they're going home, and they stop at a, a, a Walgreens to fill up his prescription you gotta, for for the drugs. Yeah, but, you have to. It's painful. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and as soon as the drugs wear off. So Kelly, uh, she parks, then she tells Dan, okay, wait here, I'll go in, I'll <laughs> fill the prescription. And so then Kelly goes in and she fills the prescription and she comes back. And what she comes back to is, uh, is Dan, who's, who has stirred, but he is, uh, he's still in the car, mm-hmm. and all the windows are closed, doors closed, but Dan has, he's, uh, nodded off. He is sleeping with his head against the, the window. <laughs> A passenger side window of the car. Okay, that's that's and, all fine so far. Yeah, it's all fine so far. He's he's just sleeping with his head on on the window, and he has begun to bleed out of his mouth, <laughs> or somewhat somewhat profusely, yeah. such that it is coming out of his mouth down his neck onto his shirt. And so Kelly walks out of the Walgreens back to her car, and she sees a man <laughs> slumped over in the front seat of her car, having bled profusely out of bloody... his mouth. He is yeah. not moving, and she looks around and thinks, if anybody. <laughs> I like how her first concern was for her own welfare and not 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 her bloody boyfriends. That's that's good. Yeah, there is no conclusion to the story, but I just have the image that I can't shake out of my head. Yeah, you get you can get real bloody from getting your wisdom teeth out. You get real bloody, more bloody than because the thing is, wisdom teeth. It's like it. Uh, no, not everyone has them removed, but it, it in some ways it is sort of like a rite of passage, especially yeah. for you know teenagers, and then of course you know sometimes in your twenties that that happens. But it it is it is the if you, you if if you live like a totally secure middle class lifestyle, it is the it is the worst thing that regularly happens to that class of people, <laughs> besides giving birth probably for for women, you know. But I mean, giving birth is like a pain that. X, you know, whatever X percent of women experience at some point, many of them before they're 30, and it seems like a terrible pain. But mm-hmm. for especially for men, the wisdom wisdom tooth removal because it it I mean maybe some people have had uh, more successful, more uh, rapid recoveries than I did, but it uh, I did not my uh, Cal, uh, my my wife now Callie was my girlfriend at the time, but she had uh, taken the opportunity to go to Brazil for a semester. Mm-hmm. So I was by myself, and actually my um, like a friend of a friend picked me up from the dentist's office. We were living in Missoula, Montana, mm-hmm. and just deposited me in my house. And then like uh, like two people each day would just stop by to make sure I wasn't dead. And I believe I watched nearly the entire series of Sex in the City. <laughs> so it was a low point is what I'm trying to communicate to you, Jeff Sullivan. <laughs> It's a yeah, it's tough. I, I don't like this. Now, what, what did you ever have? You ever broken a bone? You broke your uh, face I, bone. Yeah, I think I broke my skull, or I think a baseball broke my skull. You what? I, you were pitching and you got a liner, right? Yeah. 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 
but I, I've and never. You've been like a, this ever since. I've been like this, forgetting details about butter tea and townhouses and condos ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I br- I shattered a molar on one of those M and M cookies, but it was a baby tooth, so it doesn't matter. Uh, but I was, it hurt though, yeah. Uh, it was. I think it was loose. I didn't really care. But it did. I had a newfound respect for M and M cookies and how tough the M and M's are. I was actually I just so. reflecting on, on when I had my wisdom teeth out. I think I spent like the next week basically learning how many meals I could swallow whole, <laughs> and it was it was a practice that I was quite taken by, but that uh, I was never discouraged from pushing the limits by my mother, <laughs> who, in retrospect. I mean, I don't think that she would have wanted me to be eating so much Kraft macaroni and cheese, like just by the mouthful, just swallowing it. But yeah. I, l- I learned some things. I got up to grapes. I was able to do some grapes, but like I could have choked to death, I guess. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Without chewing. Oh, without yeah, because I couldn't chew, right? Because the because the the yeah. teeth tooth holes. You know what the so worst just... thing? One of the well, no, it's not the worst thing. The worst thing would be a tornado. Um, a tornado. Going uh, through a playground and picking up a lot of children, and then <laughs> traveling over a military base and, and <laughs> killing servicemen and women by dropping children onto them. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> and what? killing the children too. And that's the worst. I'm just trying to think. I get. I. I. Th- um, I uh, have grown sensitive, I think, to use of the superlative mm-hmm. because it is. It's pretty common in um, in discourse. You know, uh, yeah. presently, and you find, you know, certainly you you spend some time in Twitter. You hear the worst, the best, a lot, right? And so, I've attempted, I'm attempting in my in my life, not to use the superlative or to use it yeah. only when it's justified. And so, yeah. when I say that the worst pain is what I'm about to say, I have to say, well, I don't know if that's the worst thing, but mm-hmm. but but a bad a badder thing, a worse thing. Is when uh, is when you get a dry socket or multiple uh, dry sockets. Dry sockets actually uh, caused my girlfriend to lose a scholarship to college because she she had played the horn in high school and she was going to be in in a I guess oh. what is that like the symphony or something? Yeah. In in school and then because of dry socket I I don't even like saying that word but I have no problem saying socket like electrical so whatever. You, you but, say the word dry all the time and <laughs> moist even more than that which I think is. Unnerving, but you just I, like I'm a man who likes cake. What can I say? <laughs> but yeah, uh, because you couldn't play horn anymore, she couldn't get that scholarship Ever? to school. Ever? I think after some time, she just gave up on the Because I think what happens is your your gums are healing, right? And then yeah. I know that if you smoke or use a straw, the it's that sort of pursing of the lips and the suction. It, yeah. I think it forces it to unheal, and it's, the, re- the recovery process is even longer after that. It's like a month. And it, and it essentially you just have exposed nerve. If anyone, uh, listen, I invite anyone. If um, if you have had a problem with dry sockets, please share your story <laughs> in, the, in the comments section and, and compare the pain to something. I guess you know, what, or maybe it's incomparable. I don't know, but I'm interested in the dry socket story. You know, the other day my stepdad sent me a picture of baby rats. This is changing the subject. He sent me yeah. a picture of baby rats that I think were found on the property. Yeah. And and I looked at them and I thought, oh, those are cute. And where where do human babies fall on the scale of cute mammalian babies? Because I think that they're last. Oh, think? I think they're I think they're terrible. I was also yeah. talking about this the other day. I, I, you know, I'm an age. You're this. You're a similar age. You're actually probably more that age than I am when people <laughs> are having babies, and uh, and friends are having babies. 
and you see them. I love my friends. Bosses, bosses are having babies. Bobby's, I love my friends, and I love the fact that they love their babies. I understand that the mother or father and child relationship is a deep one, is a deep one with strong ties, stronger ties than any uh, you know European uh, soccer coach could ever tie. Uh, the point is, would I rather? This was a this is a question I posed. I'm interested in your answer. Would I? Would you rather see a picture of someone's baby or a picture of someone's dog? For me, absolutely the dog. That is no oh, question. Oh, without about question, dog. Yeah, yeah. Because dogs are uniformly cute. Also, young dogs, puppies, kind of competent. They learn to walk pretty quickly. They know they can eat the food by themselves. They can they can drink water better than Jeff Sullivan, <laughs> um, from what I've observed. Yeah, well, maybe we we don't use enough tongue when we're drinking water. That's true. Get, get to get back into it. Yeah. yeah, I think Michael Pollan actually has a long essay on uh, if we want to return to our our food and drink roots, we have to we have to begin utilizing reintroducing the tongue into drinking. Yeah, I'm gonna. T- I have to tell my girlfriend tonight over dinner. I I think we should both use more tongue. Yeah, that's good stuff. That was that was telegraphed. I get it. I get it. I think you know. I think you might have uh, fulfilled your obligation. Do you have anything? To, is there anything that you you were hoping to bring? Uh, I was I was half expecting this one to maybe almost verge on baseball, mm-hmm. just because of uh, just because of the trade deadline and like I just, just yeah, it's been a pretty out. pretty bit been a pretty barren July so far in terms of trades. Yeah, I think this is this is the way it frequently is. Like last year we had the Samarja trade, right, and that happened early. But this year we had the Trumbo trade, which was granted a lot smaller, but. Yeah. Still got made, but I was thinking, well, maybe Carson will bring up Michael Conforto, or maybe he'll bring up trading for frontline starting pitchers, but it, uh, it hasn't happened, which is well, fine. You, wait, so wait a second. You brought up, you, do you, uh, you, I think you wrote about, so I was busy, uh, taking care of my wife, and. Yeah, the hand surgery. What happens with, is Conforto's not an option to be traded, is he? No, he's not going to be traded. But there, he would be brought up. When we began this podcast, I don't know what's happened since, when the, we began this podcast, the Mets are thinking about potentially bringing him up to play left field, even though he has played only a short amount of time in double A. Yeah. And Mets fans, uh, being uh, the kind of person that they are, they are very uh, eager for some sort of change Yeah. Uh, to distract them from their the dreadful wishes for Terry Collins and the Wilpons, etc. I don't know. And, it looks uh, like you but, you know... He's got a nearly a 20% strikeout rate at double A. You know, I don't, it doesn't seem like he'd be a lock to, to no. play well. Yeah. No, he's not. And I was I was looking at the the history of top prospects making their debuts, so first exposure to to the major leagues, and by and large they have been unimpressive. And granted, sometimes that exposure helps them down the road. Like sure. Mike Trout had a, had a bad first cup of coffee, and then he had a very good second cup of coffee. One might argue he added cream to it, mm-hmm. and then you he might found say, it yeah. more, more palatable. Uh, but uh, it doesn't look like I don't think Michael Conforto would be the uh, the solution to the Mets situation in left field. Granted, when the when the current answer is a hobbled Michael Kadire and a very much capable Kirk Newenheis, then uh, perhaps even a below average performance would be uh, adequate. But I think the Mets would be better off making a trade. Yeah, They're making a trade for them. And yeah. who, who are the out? Isn't there very little for outfielders right now? Yeah, there's not a lot. But they could use a Hirota Parra. They could use a Will Venable. They've been connected to them both. Uh, realistically, they'd be a good fit for Ben Zobrist. But uh, you know, like every team is a good fit for Ben Zobrist. So who's to say what's going to happen there? Uh, 
There's there's Yuana Cespedes, right? Maybe allegedly, but who I don't think the Tigers are actually gonna sell. What uh wait, are the Cubs gonna make the playoffs? Uh probably. Really? Where are they in the they're, they're in position now, right? They're they're either fourth or fifth. Oh, that's great. And I think the Mets are behind them. That's the exciting. A year them. with the with the these Cubs and these Astros all sort of uh in uh, in contention for that. That's that's a, that's a pleasure. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Hmm. Well, uh, you can look at the uh the current standings. You got the Astros and the Twins in playoff position uh, and uh, the two wild card tosses in the American League and the Blue Jays are 3 games back. And then in the National League, the Cubs are holding on to the fifth and final playoff spot oh, okay. in the National League, but the Giants are only half game back, and the Giants are currently beating the Padres by four. In, oh, today? Yeah, today. Today. Just today. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, that's good information. <laughs> good. <laughs> Glad I have that information now. Will Venable. What? A, what? A, yeah, he's fine. Yeah, he is He's, that's it. That's exactly what it is. He's he, the he best would, center fielder would, on the Padres. He he would be a he'd be a platoon he'd be a platoon guy probably, right? Well, he'd probably be a regular if Kadir goes on the disabled list, but Venable's left handed right and Kadir is, is not, and so Venable would be the strong part of a platoon for the time being and, and maybe he'd take some. He's a league average hitter who can play center field. That's that's great. Yeah. Yeah, he's pretty good, and yet the Padres thought that they would not start him. At the beginning of the year, and then they went and had the worst center fielder in baseball. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so wait, where's Myers playing now? Is he playing first? He's a, he's playing disabled this, I believe. I think he had wrist surgery. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't uh, pay attention to stuff like that. You know me. You don't. Yeah. We know each other. Are you going to Saber, and or whatever it is in Boston, the the seminar? Saber seminar. Uh, Saber seminar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but just. Yeah, I th- think maybe. Is that conclusive enough? Yeah, well, no, no, yeah. I'll, wait, are you going? <laughs> oh, no. no. Yeah, I'll probably go. I usually at least go for the, uh, for like the Fangraphs night. I like that yeah. a lot. Oh, I'll, I'll, uh, actually, I think I'll be in Connecticut, which is oh, funny. That's not that far away. Oh. Yeah, you could do it. So I'm not gonna go though. Okay. You're tough. Oh, I got, do you tough I guy? got people to see. Tough guy. Hey, you want to come? You want to come down? You want to come down to Cam- Hamden? You want to come down to Hamden? Hamden? Yes, I, I talked to someone. In... No, Ham? No, no, not Hamden. I talked to someone who lives in Stanford. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. My, uh, my, yeah. I got family in Hamden, or I had family in Hamden. I don't know. Hamden, sure. Well, you had. I got. I got family in Hamden. I'm you got a, family I'm in Hamden? Yeah. Where's what town's Trinity? Is that Hartford somewhere? What's Hartford. Side? Yeah, Hartford. Trinity. How far is Trinity from? How far is that from Hamden? Uh, I don't know. How far is Hartford from New Haven? An hour? Hour and a half? Not too. Yeah, not too far. All right, let's stop this. Okay. Hey, Jeff. Hey. Thank you for participating. Thank you for participating. All right. This has been Jeff Sullivan, senior editor. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Senior editor of Fangraphs.com. Carson Stooley. This has been Fangraphs Audio. <laughs>